Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Stephen Nichols to the podcast. Dr. Nichols serves as president of Reformation Bible College and chief academic officer for Ligonier Ministries. Recently, Dr. Nichols released his new book, R.C. Sproul, A Life, visiting the life and ministry of the late pastor and theologian, R.C. Sproul. Dr. Nichols, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you. Looking forward to this conversation with you. Yeah, look, I'm just delighted to have you on the podcast today to get to know you a bit better within the context of this conversation and to talk about your new book and uh, the individual about whom you wrote, uh, R.C. Sproul. And uh, I tell you, I uh, it, just as a word of context here on my podcast over the past several years, I've had kind of a sub-series where I've conversed with folks like yourself about uh, great preachers uh, in church history, both in, in recent times, as we're doing today, but also back over the generations. And so those are always fun conversations for me. And uh, they've been fun over the years, primarily because I just uh, have always enjoyed reading biographies of leaders and uh, particular Christian leaders and have been so enriched by those. But normally I'm talking to a biographer about someone who, who died a hundred or two or three or more hundred years ago, but to have a conversation with you about a man who, for so many of us, was something of a teacher, something of a hero, perhaps even, and uh, who just recently went to be with the Lord, I think is going to be particularly encouraging, uh, not just for me, but for our listeners here. So thank you for joining me, and uh, and we'll, we'll move forward here. But before I get to Dr. Sproul's life, perhaps you could give my listeners a word of update on your own and uh, your current ministry and family. Uh, uh, situation. Sure, absolutely. So I'm here at Ligonier Ministries and Reformation Bible College. Uh, this is a college that Dr. Sproul founded back in 2011. And, you know, you're involved in theological education. Of course, you're there at college and seminary level here. We're just an undergraduate institution, but I, I can't think of a more urgent or important work than theological education. And I love it, and I love the work here. It's very energizing to be around students and to just see them grow in their knowledge of God's Word and love for God and desire to serve Him. And we just we just need this more and more, you know, these days, uh, just graduates from these institutions of conviction and confession. So love the work here. Very grateful for it. We're trying to carry on the work, too, at Ligonier. And uh, we're, we're just pushing forward with new initiatives and just thinking of some global outreach initiatives and continuing our teaching ministry and radio ministry and um, producing resources for the church and just in the service of the church. So it's uh, just a delight. It's a real privilege for me uh, to be here uh, at Ligonier at RBC. And as we're coming into the summer months, it's always good to sort of get a little little bit of a breather, at least, from the academic uh, calendar and uh, catch up with the family. So looking forward to that as well. Uh, yeah, thank you. So and, and the, there's the temptation for me to chase so many rabbits here, but I'm going to try to do my best to uh, focus it on just a few questions to position you best to talk about Dr. Sproul and his preaching. Sure. And, uh, and, and his influence. Um, I guess one other kind of front porch question is uh, just the book itself and um, kind of what prompted you. Obviously, there's admiration for Dr. Sproul. Obviously, you, you served with him a number of years. 
but but you're not the only person uh, who fits those categories and could have written it. So I guess kind of why you and uh, how long did it take you to write the book? Did you start it? I, I trust, I assume you started it perhaps before he went to be with the Lord. So um, a word of you know kind of context in that regard. Well, I'll go back to your introduction. I love biographies. I'm I'm with you, and and the the biographies I sort of worked on um, in the past. They've all been of of dead folks. I, I think the closest I got was Machen, you know, who died in '37. Right. And it dawned on me, you know, how interesting would it be to to try to write a full fledged biography, you know, from birth all the way through of a living person. And I thought and thought, and of course, R.C. Uh, came to mind. This was before I came down here full time. This was back in 2013. So talked to the folks at Crossway, talked to R.C., and we sort of lined it up. But um, didn't really start in earnest until 2017. And that turned out to be the twilight months of R.C.'s life. And I'd go to his home, and we had a tape recorder, and we would just walk through his life from year to year. And in God's providence, uh, we were able to do that and capture a lot of that. And then after he died, um, I just spent some time thinking it through and then uh, worked on it in earnest uh, here at the beginning of 2019. But a lot of years just sort of thinking about it and thinking through it, gathering material and then you know how this works. You just got to sit down at the desk, put your feet under the desk and start typing. And uh, it was just a delightful project for me uh, to work on because of the subject of it. So I think it's safe to assume that the majority of our listeners are pretty familiar with Dr. Sproul's life and ministry, at least the broad contours of it. But I don't want to assume all of our listeners are. So, so give us a sense briefly of those broad contours and, and why his life and ministry um, merits a substantial biography as you've written. So he's a founder of Ligonier Ministries. Uh, Ligonier is a teaching ministry, a parachurch ministry that wants to provide teaching materials and resources um, by trusted and faithful teachers. And at the center of a lot of that is content and teaching material from, from R.C., uh, he also was the, the host and the teacher on Renewing Your Mind. This began airing on radio stations in 1994. Of course, now it was online in addition to terrestrial radio. He's also the author of over 100 books, um, and probably among them, the two that are really standouts. And I, I believe they're likely to be classics uh, as a decades and potentially centuries roll on. One is Holiness of God. He published that in 1985 and then Chosen by God uh, that he published in 1986. I think the other thing is, you know, I'm, your listeners are probably familiar with the whole young, restless, and reformed moniker right. and crowd. R.C. was very much, I, I sort of, I think he could play one of two roles in this. He, he either played the role of like everybody's favorite uncle to the young, restless, and reformed. So, you know, we all have that favorite uncle that we just love showing up at things. Right. R.C. could, RC could play that role. Uh, but he also was a bit uh, a father, maybe even a grandfather to the young, restless, and reformed. And um, I think that's a, a little, um, little taste of why R.C. and uh, why his life can be helpful for us. As, a, as an encouragement to us. 
So if someone asked me about R.C.'s publications, um, I, I would have uh, immediately identified the two books you did and ranked them one and two as far as the holiness of God and then chosen by God as far as these classic works that have just continued to have ripple effects. Um, I will tell you, though, I don't think I realized until you just said it, if, and if I heard you right, they came out in 85 and 86. Is that what you said? Yeah. Can you imagine like publishing two classic texts in rapid fire succession? And they were preceded in 1984 by classical apologetics, right? which is another book that sort of secures him a place in the apologetics views discussion. And here they come out. 84, 85, 86. It's mind-boggling what he was producing. So I want to move in the conversation um, to his preaching and teaching. And I don't want to draw like too fine of a line between those two categories. And obviously he had the expansive tape ministry and uh, radio ministry and uh, conference ministry and writing ministry. I know he he served for many years, you know, kind of as as a preaching in a chapel setting Sunday to Sunday. Um, and so let's just let's kind of knowingly blur the lines between teaching and preaching, um, <laughs> just just for the sake of our conversation here. Um, what would you? I mean, so people found him compelling. They found him captivating, not just interesting, but captivating. And there's a difference between the two. There was not only right. a uh, an intellectual, you know, stimulative effect he had, but he did have an, an emotional, heart stirring, spiritual impact as well. And uh, I guess as one like yourself who had a literally a front row seat for many years, why do you think that? Why do you think that was the case? I think it's a combination of a couple of things. I think you sensed he he had conviction. If he wasn't just holding beliefs, he was defending beliefs. He was contending for beliefs, and you sensed that about him. Uh, you knew that he stood for the things that matter. And, and I think we need that. Uh, we need that in our leadership. People who we know are going to be faithful and take a stand and not waffle and waver. And I, I think that's RC. I think the other thing, and you're hitting on it, he was, he was truly a compelling communicator. And I think both of those, the conviction and the communicator, it goes back to the reformers. He loved the reformers, of course. He's always talking about the solas. He's always talking about Luther, Calvin. And he saw the reformers fundamentally as populists. They were academics. They, they, they were capable academics, and they served in academic posts. But they saw themselves as populists. They, they ended up taking their message directly to the people. And I think that was R.C. Um, and he just had a, such a, a natural way of doing it. Um, he could, he could, and I've, I've felt this as I sat at St. Andrew's chapel and heard him preach or sit in auditoriums at conferences. I think he could reach across the lectern and reach across the pulpit as if he was talking directly to you. He could even sort of reach across the, the car radio speaker as he was teaching. And you just felt like he was making a, a connection. And I think people felt that. You know, when he, um, after he died, and I'd hear different people would come up to me at our conferences or events, and they'd want to share with me their testimonies of just RC's impact. And a number, a number of them talked about how when they heard that RC died, they just cried. It was like they lost, a, they felt like they lost a friend uh, when, they, when they heard that RC passed away. 
and I, I think all that goes into just making him a, a really effective um, teacher and preacher. Yeah, and uh, just to circle back around to a couple of your comments there, there again, you think of him, the books, and uh, again, intellectually stimulating, theologically, he, he would he would elicit from within you an interest in theological topics or perhaps church history, events, facts, people that maybe one did not realize was resident within them in the first place. They kind of awakened those interests in many ways, but also uh, in so doing was able to impact the heart, to touch the heart, to stir one spiritually. And we think about great preaching, of course, you know, you're you are indeed informing the mind. You are indeed seeking to to impact the heart. You are indeed seeking to um, to challenge the will and you know, point people. And of course, we understand what I mean by that theologically, but point people to through their human agency to pursue Christ, to choose righteousness, to honor the Lord with with their tongue and their actions and so forth. And uh, he just seemed to be able to embody that. Now, talk about his preaching. Of course, he famously preached with. Uh, little, if any, notes. Um, perhaps you can say a word about that stylistically and why he approached the pulpit that way and um, to what extent we should we should pursue, you know, similarly approaching the pulpit. Well, he made it tough on all of us around him because of preaching without notes. <laughs> so, so you, you know, if you're, if you're used to a manuscript and you need that manuscript, you just sort of felt nervous having one as you would... And uh, of course, he wouldn't, you know, put put pressure, undue pressure on anyone. But here's how he approached it. Um, he, he believed that as preaching, you start off with sort of finding the drama in the text. And he, he would talk about how, you know, whether it's a narrative or a didactic passage, there's going to be a drama in that text. It's God's word. It, 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 it's holy ground. So he would always encourage his homiletics students to find the drama and then preach the drama. That was his sort of his main theme in his homiletics courses. And I think then you're going to see what he's after. You know, he's not after an academic lecture. He's after conveying content. I mean, he's a theologian. He, he wants you to know. In order to love God and worship God, we have to know God. So he's after content. But, but he's after connecting, and you hit it on the nail on the head when you said an awakening and a sort of preaching for awakening. Uh, but he did have little um, cheat sheets he would take with him, and they were little three by five cards. And uh, he would he would get the kind with the lines on the front and the blank on the back, and he would always flip it so it was vertical instead of horizontal. And I have one, like I'm holding one now. And, I, and so I'm pretty sure uh, this is from Galatians, his sermon on Galatians 4.21 to the end with the discussion of Hagar and Sarah. So are you ready for this? I'll give you his outline. Yes, do. Okay. So he has number one, jewel thief. Number two, hear the law. Number three, Hagar, Sarah. So I'm assuming going back to number one, jewel thief was his opening introduction about some story about a jewel thief. <laughs> right. So jewel thief, hear the law, Hagar, Sarah, Sinai, heaven, law, promise, freedom, slavery. So if you go back and read Galatians 4, 21 to 31, that's the big theme of the text. And Hagar and Sarah, Sinai and heaven, law, promise, freedom, slavery. Then he has 
free will bondage. And then he has Rousseau. So this is the Enlightenment philosopher, of course, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And then under Rousseau, he has Edwards. Well, this is, of course, Jonathan Edwards. And then he has Holy Spirit equals gentleman. So I'm not sure what the final piece there is, but that was his conclusion, right? So that's it. Like, those are his sermon notes. Right. And so, and I heard him preach a number of sermons in person. Right. Uh, I became a believer, Dr. Nichols, my freshman year in college in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, you, you may know my uh, pastor then shortly thereafter was uh, Steve Lawson. And he married my wife and I and got he to serve on. Steve Lawson. Yeah. And I got to serve on staff with him for several years before going off to seminary. But I'm a new believer. Don't know really heads or tails about the scripture. And uh, I do have Christian radio, though, and that's very hit or miss, right? But but those Ligonier uh, broadcasts would come on, and they were so captivating. My car, I never hear him, hear him, you know, speak and teach and preach. And anyway, I just know so many have been and are currently impacted by those broadcasts. So let me ask the question a different way here, and uh, and that is this: We've talked about how minimalistic the uh, the notes were, but how minimalistic or maximalistic was the preparation? And I know when uh, you're 70 years old preaching and you've been doing it for 50 years, the wells are deep, and it's different than when you're 20 and you've only preached eight sermons in your life. But I suspect he, uh, in his own way and in his own context and his own different stages of ministry, uh, there was a seriousness about the preparation uh, to preach. So could you say a word about that? Yeah, absolutely. So first, you got to go back to his seminary days, his college days, seminary days, early teaching, early ligonier. So the 60s and 70s, it, it, he was just pouring the foundation that he could build the later ministry on. It was it was just study. I, I've got piles of notebooks of his just taking detailed notes on books he was reading, various topics. So that was the foundation, the deep well that he dug through his education, through his early years, that he could draw from that well for the decades to come. Uh, When it comes to the conference speaking, I think that's a little different from his weekly preaching. So Bob Lapine tells this great story that he heard R.C. preach, and he said to him, how long did it take you to prepare that? And R.C. said, five minutes. (laughs) And then he says with a wink, and 30 years. So the idea is that when he's doing conference speaking, you know, he, he's got it. It's there in his head. He just sort of thinks it through and then delivers it. But that was different from his preaching ministry. And so in his sermon series that he do at St. Andrews, I mean, I was at his home. I saw him as he was preaching, finishing up the Galatians series and then moving to Hebrews. It was the commentaries on the best. It was the reference works. And especially for Galatians, his go-to was Calvin. And not just Calvin's commentary on Galatians, but Calvin's sermons on Galatians. So he'd not just read the commentaries, he'd read sermons from church history and get ideas. But I, I'd love to share this with you. He actually taught a, um, a seminar for pastors, and he tried to just bring it. And I think actually Steve Lawson, speaking of our good friend, Dr. Lawson, I think he was the impetus behind this to have R.C. just sort of crystallize his method. So as a good five-point Calvinist, it's a five-point method. Right. So number one is read and read and read the text. So he just started there. Number two, look for the drama in the text. 
So there's the find the drama, preach the drop. Number three, check the commentaries for interpretive or controversial issues. Number four, think about it all week long. Just let it ruminate in your head. And then five, preach it. (laughs) And I think he meant like preach it with passion. Like he's an athlete, right? This is, this is game day. You don't, you don't bring any back to the locker room with you. You leave it all out on the field. Um, so that was his, his uh, weekly preaching. There, there was study that went into it, and there was a solid foundation that he could build upon. So let me try to pull this together with, uh, with one question, or with two questions, one specific and the one just teeing you up to reflect for a moment. Um, Dr. Sproul had a way of being convictional, capital C, without being harsh. Uh, to be mm. to be to be bold, capital B, without being unnecessarily abrasive, mm. right? Um, to be clear and and even confrontational, without being off putting. He he was able to do that in ways that 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 oddly, at least from my vantage point, drew people in without you know shoving them away. Mm. Um, that to do that in a way that that enabled him to still have a hearing with a persuadable constituency, not for a persuadable constituency to, to be pre-committed to not giving him a hearing based upon his boldness and conviction and willingness to confront. And uh, I just, again, just want to say to me, I think that's very commendable because we're in an age where w- we, we need to be bold and clear and challenging and even confrontational, um, but we need to do our best to to maintain uh, a constituency. And again, the, the constituency many will reject, many will will respond harshly to us. So I'm not trying to say if we're nice that it'll all work out, not at all. But I'm saying there's a uniqueness there. It seems to me that Dr. Sproul had in that balance, or maybe I should say in that ability to be that bold, that convictional, that even confrontational at times but to not be unnecessarily harsh or shrill or off-putting and to not position himself to therefore be easily dismissed. In your opinion, am I seeing that accurately? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I really appreciate that you picked up on that. You know, one of the things he would always, Vesta talks about this, R.C.'s widow, that after he would preach, R.C. would ask Vesta, was I kind to people? In that sermon, and it and it wasn't that he was seeking to please man versus you know he was a God pleaser, he was a man of conviction, and you knew where he stood and you knew where you stood, um, but he managed to do that with a kindness, and I, I think it's because he genuinely cared about people, like individual people, but about people, so he was definitely marked by. A kindness and a kindness, and you sensed that. You sensed his warmth. You, you got his sense of humor, which is great to have. And I mean, he could turn on a dime. He could be so serious about the transcendent holy God, but then also just have this great sense of humor and, and a sense. You know, Luther is sort of that's my church history go-to figure <laughs> for RC. Luther was sort of like that passionate. And humorous, you know, Al, uh, Dr. Moeller would say that when when R.C. was at speaker dinners, 
there was always much, much more laughter. <laughs> and when there were, when RC wasn't at a conference, the speaker dinners were always much more boring, you know, uh, with not having RC at the table. And I think all of those things just really enabled him to connect with people while at the same time, his commitment was clear and undeniable. Um, so I, no, I, I think there's a lot to what you're saying. And I think you, I think you articulated it very well. Well, Dr. Dickles, our time is all but up, but perhaps I can tee you up to briefly give us a final word of encouragement, uh, perhaps what those today who are preaching or teaching the Word of God week to week, um, what might be a final word of, of perhaps even application uh, for them to take away from our conversation or more broadly from the life and teaching and preaching ministry of R.C. Sproul? So I think it's one of the challenges. When we look at figures like this, we we sort of try to measure up to them or we measure our lives against theirs and we feel inadequate. And it can also, it can be discouraging. You know, we're talking about how biographies can be encouraging. They can be discouraging. As I I spent time with R.C., as I spent time with Vesta, he never set out to build a global ministry. Uh, Really, all they set out to do was to be faithful. They started the study center up in western Pennsylvania to just simply be faithful to what God called them to do. And in God's providence, he blessed R.C. and his ministry with fruitfulness. But I think that's what R.C. would, would want to say to ministers. Just be faithful. Trust in the preaching of God's word. It's what God has ordained. And as you're faithful to God, God will bless your ministry with fruitfulness whatever that fruitfulness looks like in your context. Um, but I, I think you would certainly want to say that uh, to pastors. Well, Dr. Nichols, it's been a delight today to host you. Thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. And before we go, I do want to commend once more to our listeners, your new book, Out with Crossway Publishers, R.C. Sproul, A Life. Thank you for your friendship, for your ministry partnership. Uh, for your work with and for Dr. Sproul, and most especially for your contribution to the church with this new biography. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.